Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. The Proverbs 18, we're going to finish up our little discussion on, uh, on the words and um, on, on speech. We're just going to look at these last two verses of a section we've been looking at for a couple of weeks. And it is a, a good way to, uh, to end this discussion. So notice verses 20 and 21. They, uh, they're a, I don't know what you call, they're a pair, they're, they're a couplet. We know that because if you look at verse 20, this is Proverbs 18, 20, from the fruit of a man's mouth. So see the word fruit there. And then look at the last word in verse 21 is the word fruit. So that's what the Bible scholars call an inclusio that shows you that the writer has started a topic and he ends the topic. So this is about fruit and it's about the fruit of our, of our words, of our, of our lips. So um, I'll just read it and then we'll, we'll look at it for a few minutes. So the point is the two verses go together and they interpret one another. They add verse 21 really does add to what verse 20 is, is saying. So, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So you can see in both verses, um, we have, have speech or the tongue, and then we have this idea of there's fruitfulness that our that our words bear fruit either for good or for evil for life or for death but look at the curious way that that um, Solomon brings out the fruit of our lips in verse uh, verse 20 from the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied and just let that dawn on you for a minute that is a very strange statement from the, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. That doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. Although I, I thought about, haven't we all said this? Uh, well, I had to eat my words. Or I hope he has to eat his words. What do we mean when we say that? What does that mean? Hope what he says backfires. Okay. Hope what he says backfires. That's good. All right. Take it back. Yeah, I wish I could take that back. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. Well, look at uh, our friend uh, Bruce Walkie. I'm going to read this quote that I gave to you there, and um, you have to kind of listen to it. But um, just, I think he's got a good point. Eating one's own fruit or one's own words is an oxymoron. You may know an oxymoron is a self-contradiction, how do you eat your own words? In other words, to satisfy one's own hunger by what comes out of the mouth is an absurdity. The oxymoron forces the thought that whatever a person dishes out with his words, whether beneficial or harmful, he himself will, will feed on to the full measure through what his audience in return dishes out to him. So, um, this is a this is a this has a agricultural farming 
um, dimension to it. So can you think of a verse in the New Testament that talks about sowing and reaping? Whatever, uh, I know you, I'm just making y'all think more than maybe, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. Okay, um, for Galatians 6, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Yeah, so that's, I think, where we're going, going with this. And so therefore, isn't it interesting that our words have power not only for what they do to people that we talk to, but they come back on us too. Uh, maybe in just a fulfillment of our own words, or maybe on on uh, what people, how people react to our uh, to our words. Well, verse twenty one just intensifies um, verse twenty, and there's all kinds of fruitfulness and results of our words. But look at verse twenty one: death and life are uh, in are in the power of the tongue. Now that, obviously that doesn't just mean biological death or life. What, how else do our tongues bring death or life in relationships? One thing that comes to my mind is that you can preach, speak the gospel, speak truth, or you can speak evil towards somebody. Yeah, so the gospel brings truth and life, or we can speak evil to, to folks, and that brings death. We can, more we can uh, greatly damage or kill a relationship with, our, with just a few words, can't we? Or death and life and the power of just a few words that we can speak. So look at the next uh, phrase there. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Those who love what? In verse 21. Talking. Yeah, love talking, and particularly how does look at what the, the first part of verse twenty-one? What does it refer to? I think uh, in the power of the tongue. I think what he's saying there is that those who recognize and appreciate the power of the tongue um, will eat its fruits. Will, will eat good fruits. I think it's just a, a point for us to realize that that if we really recognize the power of speech, then um, we will be we will use our speech responsibly and carefully. We'll not just spout out. Now, there's a place for levity and for jokes and things like that, but but that we will be very careful how we use our words because of the power that they have to bring life or to bring to bring uh, death yeah right. well, I was thinking too about that um, the, the loving part of it is that I know that my delight by God's grace is that when whether like in prayer and I'm speaking God's word back to him we talk about memorizing scripture or if you're sharing the gospel or if you're teaching and it's God glorifying is that, um, or like even just in my own prayer life, when um, I don't know what to say, the Spirit of God intercedes and enables you to speak to the Lord in a way that's aligned with His will according to His Word. Um, there's a great joy and delight in that. I delight far more in the truth 
and what's coming out of my mouth because it's the Lord's word and his truth versus when my words are rotten and I'm speaking from the flesh or something I'm even speaking that's incorrect or untrue versus, again, um, there's just, again, a, a work of the Spirit of God that when uh, there's that outward expression of something that glorifies God according to his word, um, I, I delight in that. Right. Yeah, I, I take joy in that. And it's, li- it's life-giving, too, isn't it? Is. Yeah. It's, yeah, without yeah, it's beautiful. So, um, Rob saying that when we speak God's words, they bring life, even in our prayer and in our, you know, in our care for one another. I will see that in just a moment in one of our applications. Yeah, thank you. Well, let's. Uh, so I think the point there, uh, friends, uh, let's take our speech seriously. Boy, it is a powerful thing for good or for evil, and uh, our, God takes our speech seriously. And as Rob is saying. Uh, he takes his word seriously. His word brings brings life. Okay. Well, here's just three uh, three kind of quick applications. We've already talked about these things, I think. But just um, the cute little phrase, I think, is true. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. When we think about our words, our words don't start with our lips. They start in our heart. And as we've seen in this the past couple of weeks, that um, when we open our mouth and keep it open long enough, we might as well paint a picture of our heart because people can see it. And, um, and I think that's really important because uh, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's what Jeremiah says, and we can't all, we don't always know what's in our heart. But if we listen to, if we listen to our own words, uh, we can begin to see what's in our heart. And that's really important because that, you know, that verse we looked at a few weeks ago, Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. What's the rest of that verse? For what? Melissa? Yeah, everything about life comes out of our comes out of our heart. Um, and this has been helpful to me when I do it. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I speak a, a, hurt, a hurtful word to my wife or one of my kids, and and. Um, I don't know why it surprises me. I, you know, I'm, I still struggle with sinful things, but but sometimes I don't realize how serious those words are. But if I can trace the root of that word back to my heart, I can better see what caused that word. Maybe it was um, selfishness or pride or whatever it may be. And that way I can confess my the root of my sin, not just the word that I said, but the root of it. It reminds us again of what David said in Psalm 51. That, you know, he's confessing his sin uh, after um, was it Nathan. Nathan was the prophet that confronted him, you know, exposed him about his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband. And, and, and so David confesses some of his sins, but then he says, he says, Oh Lord, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So we talked about this whole idea of wisdom as a heart issue. And so just realizing that that uh, the heart is the source of these of our words, but they can help us be in touch with what's going on in our heart, and we can confess our sins and find uh, find cleansing and growth there. Um, so I think this 
Point number two picks up where Rob uh, said we should fill our hearts with the life-giving Word of God by reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, sharing it. And Rob, I like your point, and praying it, praying God's Word. And then this beautiful passage in Colossians um, 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And I just, every time I see one another lately, I've realized how vital it is for us as God's people to live in these one another relationships of uh, caring for one another. And then uh, one we've looked at many times, but a wise person listens carefully before speaking. And here's the, the wisdom book of the New Testament, James uh, 1, 19 through 20. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So just again, when, that, when we think of words, it's better to say fewer words and more words and uh, maybe no words. Sometimes is the safest thing to say. Um, when you feel that anger or frustration coming out of your heart, uh, I think the, be the best thing for me is just be quiet, and I don't win the argument or you know get my way, but I sure don't cause a problem if I just keep my mouth keep my mouth shut. There's something else here about being slow to speak, um, being slow to being quick to hear, slow to speak. That when we're slow to speak, then we have the opportunity to listen, to hear what the other person's situation or concern is, or or their um, you know, what their problem may be or what our conflict may be and so hopefully that when we listen and hear then we can gain insight that when we do speak we speak with wisdom so a lot of good reasons to to uh, be slow in our speaking and listening so anything uh, anything else about speech we're going to move on to something else now uh, John. This whole subject and these verses bring to mind also Ephesians 4.29 in my translation. It's kind of funny the way it's worded, but it's not normally how I think of it because I'm used to the NIV, but in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says, No rotten top should come from your mouth, but only one that's good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. Well. That's good. Ephesians 4.29. No rotten talk. That's not a very happy picture, is it? Uh, Russ? Have you dealt much with, uh, like, the one thing that I am running into more and more is these mid-age and young Christians that think it's okay to use the F word, and we're not talking the word faith. And... They see no problem using the world's language. Mm. Have you run into that much in your counseling and stuff, or? No, I haven't. But it is a. I didn't realize that was prolific among among Christian uh, professing Christians. That's really sad. Yeah, it's mm. kind of shocking. Like this is in the Reformed circles too, and it's like it's, I'm just shocked sometimes that you're. I'm trying to like put in my head is like where does the word damn go where does the word like 
where those lines are, you know, but the, some of these people are just like, they sound like the world and they think there's no problem with it and you confront them and it's like you go to, you know, hey, there's no coarse jesting or filthy language and they kind of just discount those. I was just wondering if you ran into that in counseling much. I haven't seen that myself. Um, that's a whole other topic, isn't it? What is, what's the definition of cursing and vile speech? And I think one thing that we can recognize is that the Bible um, never, never uses um, private body parts or intimate relations in a way of discussing other issues. Never. The Bible's, the scriptures are very discreet and and uh, careful about those things, and we should be too, John. Another example of the same thing, where the culture just takes something and desensitizes them by repeating it, is people who say "OMG" all the time. Mm -hmm. They don't even seem to realize that they're addressing and talking to the God of the universe. Right. It's like they're talking to a table or a chair or whatever. Yeah, and uh, really, when we when somebody has to use a a, a cursed word to express their point shows that they don't have a very it shows the weakness of their position well, they wouldn't have to use those kinds of words but there are other words that could be could be used okay thank you alright let's look now uh, at the five kinds of fools that are mentioned in the book of Proverbs this is a, a very interesting topic I hope that you'll not only enjoy it but, uh, but grow from it and um, I, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I went to the Association of Biblical Counselors Conference in Fort Worth. And uh, my sister lives in Irving, so that worked real good. You had to have a hotel or anything and just went and stayed with her. Um, but the pre-conference was using, using proverbs in counseling. So I got my attention. So they did a, about five hours of that kind of thing. and. Uh, and one of the fellows, uh, one of the leaders, is, you can see my footnote, um, Brad Hambrick, he, he had a session on counseling fools or counseling those in a fool's wake. And that was a really uh, interesting, I'm unashamedly I'm, I'm, I'm uh, gonna draw from some of the things that he, he had to say. It was really, really good. So let's just look at these four uh, introductory points that as we begin to think about the five fools you can see I think it's on the back of your of your page uh, this little chart come in folks we saved some seats right there for you <clears throat> so so I'm gonna we're gonna go through these five I don't know if we'll get through all of them today or not um, but it's a really a helpful uh, lesson I think so the book back to our introductory statements uh, and these are not only a proverbs these fools are other places uh, too the proverbs distinguishes five types of fools and I think they help us help us in these in these ways one so we can learn to identify them and, and as we identify them we can gain wisdom about how to how to interact with them because we interact with different types of fools in different in different ways and also um, how to help others that are having to interact with, with foolish people. Then uh, point number two, though, 
there is an overlap in the description of the categories of these fools, and we'll see this. It, they're not they're not finely uh, distinct. They're all fools. All five of them are fools, but they kind of can flow together sometimes. But I think we're going to see. I know we will. We're going to see very clearly that as we go down this list, that there's a clear progression. I, I use the words in the perversity and the severity of the foolishness of, the, of these fools, and um, and their danger to themselves and to uh, to others. Now, Brad Hambrick pointed out this statement right here. The New Testament overlay is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Let's look at that. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14 as we begin to, uh, to look at this study in, uh, in Proverbs. In fact, I was, in my, in my own preparation, I was really... Uh, thankful to see that this concept of, of relating to different people in different ways is, um, is in the Old Testament and Proverbs as we will see but clearly in the New Testament the Apostle Paul has a lot maybe not a lot but he has some, something to say about how we address and how we relate to different, uh, different people so we won't spend a whole lot of time on this but I just want you to see it 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and be patient to them all. So, just to point out, Paul distinguishes three different groups, three different types of people. Um, the idle, and you may have a footnote or a different uh, version. Anybody else have a different version? For the word idle, what do you have? Uh, un unruly. 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 Yeah, it's a little bit more than just not doing something. It's got this unruliness, un undisciplined. Uh, lazy. Lazy, okay, right. This says idle and disruptive. Okay, yeah, so we're seeing this is more than just uh, a lazy person. Their, their laziness can cause disruption and disunity. So that's why... Um, why the word of uh, the, the approach to this person is, let's see, my version says admonish. Other words there? What do you do with the unruly, the idle? <coughs> Any other versions? Warn. Warn, okay. Yeah, that's the key word. So, th so this is not some kind of nice passive um, encouragement. This is Brother or sister, you're going down the wrong path. You're causing problems maybe in the community or in the, in the church. And it's a warning. It's an admonishment. Um, and then the next one is, uh, my version, say, uh, ESV says, uh, faint-hearted. What are there some other words there? Faint-hearted. Everybody's got that? Discouraged. Discouraged, okay. It literally means a small souled, small having a small soul, meaning I think it has the idea um, they're ready to give up, they're discouraged, uh, they're losing heart, and so you don't you don't say the same thing to this person as you would to the unruly disruptive person. 
you encourage them. And the word uh, encourage just means to, to comfort and to speak tenderly and, and uh, caringly uh, uh, to them. It's, it's the word that, that uh, in uh, John 11, 31, that's where Lazarus has died and uh, Mary and Martha are going, uh, or the, uh, the, the crowd thinks that they're going to the, to the tomb. And they go because they want to comfort them. That's what this word, Mary and Martha are grieving and they're sad. So they're not going to rebuke them. They're going to comfort them. So, so that's how we do that. And then finally, uh, the, uh, the weak. Yeah, help the weak. Anything, any other word for weak there that helps us understand that word? Well, it could be feeble, you know, weakness, feebleness, but it may have a uh, may have a moral or a spiritual dimension to it. So, it may need a little bit more than just encouragement. Um, so, the word help. How about the word we're to help the weak? How, what, any other word for the word help? Uphold. Uphold. Okay. Or it actually means to uphold or to hang on to. Hang on to this person. They may be getting ready to go astray, or they you know, they have some other weakness morally or spiritually. So, hang on to them. Um, and then be patient. To all that's a nice point, isn't it? I like people to be patient with me. That means to be long-tempered, long, long-suffering. So we don't need to do any more work in this passage unless you have a comment or, or an insight. Just wanted you to see. Here's Paul taking the same kind of idea. Don't treat everybody the same. It's not a one-size-fits-all as we care for one another. Discern what their need is and then minister to them according to their, to their need. Okay? All right, let's look at these. Uh, let's look at these fools in Proverbs. Again, I, I think that there is a progression. Well, I know there is. The first two are somewhat similar um, I think the second does take another step toward perversity and, and, and uh, seriousness. But uh, I think the first two really, you see, they're the simple fool, ignorant, or the silly, immature fool. So uh, this describes all children and grandchildren. Um, we haven't had children at this level for a long time, but boy, we have some grandchildren now, and I've been reading reacquainted with these uh, with their simplicity and their silliness and their in, immaturity so what I've done I just found other other guys other people that have helped with this I don't do much Hebrew but so I gave you the Hebrew word and the, the technical meaning of the word helps us to understand uh, something about this person this type of fool and really uh, we could have just had three three uh, columns the name of the fool, the Hebrew meaning, and the scripture, because the scripture is going to tell us what's in the other two columns, but I thought I'd give you a little bit more uh, to look at there. So the Hebrew meaning there means to be opened up, and that means uh, their mind is just always open. They have no filters, they have no, they have no discernment. They're, they're naive, they believe uh, whatever comes their way. They, they, they're not yet able to connect cause and effect. And we will see that there's a rela an interesting connection between this 
uh, this uh, simple, innocent kind of fool and the scorner, and the scorner's number four. So he's way down the pathway there, but we'll see that in, in a few minutes. Um, they're in danger by curiosity. I think they can't, you know, they can't see the danger that's, uh, that's ahead of them. I, think, I, didn't, I don't want to look at this passage, but I think it's in Proverbs 7, where Solomon says, I was looking out my window and I saw the simple being enticed by the prostitute. He doesn't, and Solomon said he doesn't know that people don't come back from that house. They, you know, they're destroyed by that. He he can't see that. Now, I think another point of studying these uh, these fools is that it does help us to see this foolishness in ourselves sometimes, and that's an important thing. That as God's people, we have a new heart, but we still have remaining sin, and we still have remaining foolishness uh, in our lives. So we can learn from that too. Let's just look at a couple of these passages. Look at uh, Proverbs four. I mean Proverbs fourteen fifteen. This is just a, a statement that I thought you'd be it'd be good for us to see. The simple believes everything. They don't have more with all the prol- you know, the proliferation of information on the internet well there's a lot of stuff that shouldn't be believed on the internet but they uh, they don't have a they can't they can't uh, they can't discern things they, they simply believe everything they look at uh, 1925 So here's this connection between the scoffer and the simple. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. So I was thinking about that. If you look over at the, the response, one of the things that this, that this and, I, and I think this is, these first two really do have, a, have clear parenting dimensions to them. And for younger children particularly, this is the kind of parenting that all younger children need because they don't know. And they're, they're naive and they're ignorant. They haven't. They don't clearly connect um, cause and effect. They don't. They don't connect actions and consequences. John, you getting ready to add something? No. Okay. All right. Um, but but maybe and the whole idea of sowing and reaping. They they don't realize when they plant a seed that something can come up and and uh, and reflect that uh, that planting. But it may be the wisdom here is that it's hard, it's hard for us to see cause and effect in ourselves, but maybe we can see it easier in, in somebody else. So I think this is a parenting point here, um, that when a scoffer, who is a really, he's, he's, he's way down, we're going to see he's number four in this list of five, that when a scoffer suffers the consequences, uh, that's a good uh, teachable moment. To say, look, Sawyer, I can do that with Sawyer now. Look, Sawyer, look what happened to this man. You know, he was uh, he made a bad decision, and boy, he really suffered for it. So help him to, you know, connect uh, the consequences. I think I told you, I was we have a burn barrel in our backyard, and and he loved you know boys love fire, and so he was putting stuff in the burn barrel. I said, Sawyer, the uh, the barrel is very hot, so don't touch it. Well, he touched it and. And it hurt him, 
but not bad. I mean, it just kind of turned the end of his finger white. Of course, his mother and grandmother thought, we got to take him to the ER, you know, he's dying. And I said, no, he's not dying. But he's learned not to touch uh, hot barrels. Well, that's why grandkids needs, needs fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers. So, uh, so that's why I say uh, part of training children is not only allowing consequences. Now, you know, obviously, when you see your child running into the freeway, you're going to stop that. You don't want them to bear the consequences of that. But smaller consequences, they need to learn so they can so they can grow from them. And sometimes uh, uh, we ought to go next door to the parenting class. But sometimes parents need to provide consequences, and that's what you know. Where different types of punishment and, and uh, consequences can be helpful. So that's the first fool. Any other thought about that person? Now, this is serious when somebody 28 or 48 has these same, uh, you know, these same uh, misunderstandings. Okay, the next one, the silly or immature fool. I looked at different lists. Sometimes these are these are reversed, but I think this is the right <coughs> the right order. So this means to be thick, as in uh, as in thick-headed. So you can see the description is a little bit. Uh, a little bit more serious, a little bit more perverse, I think. Uh, they're arrogant, self-assured, self-focused. That's what I noticed about this person. Uh, they're self-focused and they love to talk. They talk too much. Uh, they don't listen to correction or instruction. And uh, when, when their path is crossed, uh, look out. Uh, we'll see that, I think, in a uh, in a couple of verses. So let's look at uh, Proverbs 10, verse 8. <clears throat> Proverbs 10, 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Um, the King James had a really interesting word there. Do you have a for the word babbling, a babbling fool. Prating. Yeah, I don't even know what that word is, but it's but it kind of it's got, what is that called? Onomatopoeia. Is that right? Is that when the word kind of sounds like it's meaning? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a prating, prating, prating fool, a babbling fool. The point is, this person is known for talking too much. They just blah 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 can talk too much. And their words get them in. Their words get them in uh, in trouble. Um, and then uh, 12, 15, yeah, 12, 15, and I want to add verse uh, 16 to it. 12, 15, and 16. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but uh, a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once. What is the vexation of a fool? Or, Joshua, what is your version? The wrath of a fool, okay. Any other version? John, what is the home in, in the 12, uh, 16? Uh, it uh, just says a fool's displeasure is known at once, but whoever ignores an insult is sensible. Okay, so uh, vexation, wrath, or what is anger. anger? Okay, or what do we call this? 
in the grocery store when you see a little kid not get the candy he wants. Yeah, temper tantrum. That's what he's talking about here. Now, you know, it's one thing for a four-year-old to have a temper tantrum. It's another thing for a 29-year-old. Or if anybody's 29 in here, I'm not picking on you. Six-year-old? Yeah. Seven-year-old? Yes, that's right. Uh, because they didn't get their way. Um, there's, and I think the big thing here is, is that uh, this person is they're navel gazers. They're focused on themselves. Their their world centers around uh, centers around themselves. I think 27.3 is a similar. Let's look at uh, 27. Oh yeah, this is really interesting. Proverbs 27.3. <clears throat> A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation, is that wrath or anger again? Is that what we're, okay, is heavier than both. And uh, boy, doesn't that, I mean, that really is a word picture, isn't it? That when a child is having a temper tantrum or doesn't get, you know, doesn't get their way and, and uh, they, use the, they use their provocation or their anger or their wrath to control the whole you know, the, the whole thing, and it's a heavy weight. It's like um, a heavy stone or, or a bag full of sand. It just weighs down the situation. Well, so how do we help this fool? Any? Depends on the circumstances. Okay, yeah. Well, they, they also need consequences. Uh, do you know, when you see another child's, another parent's child having a temper tantrum in the grocery store, do you ever want to provide some parenting advice? For <laughs> Probably better not these days, you may be in big trouble. But I'm gonna say, don't give it to him. You know, he needs to learn to live without this. But, but I know if you got three kids there and you're tired, you give them the candy so you can get home and you know, get, get the dinner going. So, uh, but uh, they, need to, they need to learn consequences. The other thing I think here is because they're so self-centered, and this is, you know, this is not so much always a discipline thing. Sometimes it's just learning about life and to, to help them to look away from themselves and look to others, to learn to care for others. Um, you see very few kids have to wait for anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah, Jerry said, you see very few kids have to wait for anything anymore. So they need to learn to wait, you know, and, and uh, be patient. Um, so again, these are two parenting. I think these two really do have uh, have parenting dimensions. Okay, let's look at the next one, and we can spend the rest of our time today on, on this one. This is really an interesting, um, interesting one. So <clears throat> this obviously this, all these can have parenting dimensions to them, but as we move down this list. Um, We'll, we see that less and less does a fool respond to consequences or discipline or correction until we get to the end. And the, as we move down this list, more and more there's this idea, leave this person alone. Uh, leave them in God's hands. Not always, but we'll, we'll see that. So look at this, the one that's described as sensual or desire-driven. And so you can see this is a growth from the uh, a progression from the one we've just seen because the, um, now this person, their desires and what they want is the center of their universe. 
and woe to the person who doesn't meet those meet those needs. Um, so, you know, again, a parenting issue here is you can teach, we need to teach our children. They can live without that whatever, this thing or that thing, and sometimes what they need to, to uh, need to live without it. So this person is a little bit more, is more perverse. They make light of fulfilling their sinful desires. They're even deceitful in their folly. And they are really becoming hardened to correction. And because of their desires, they often uh, have addictions, alcohol or pornography or something like that, because they're, they're focused on on uh, fulfilling their desires. In fact, there's a, we're going to see this verse here in a few moments. Um, let's let's find it. Uh, thirteen. I don't remember which verse it is, but thirteen nineteen. Oh yeah, yeah, thirteen nineteen and twenty. <laughs> A desire, thirteen nine, verse nineteen. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. And I think what he means there, to turn away from their evil desires, to them that's a terrible thing to do. You should never do that. You should always fulfill, you know, fulfill your own uh, desires. So. Uh, usually the word abomination is used in different ways, but to the fool that whose life is centered around his desires, that would be the worst thing you could ever do is to not fulfill one of your desires. And by the way, uh, we probably go to we could go to James four and realize that this person is going to be inherently angry because their desires are not always going to be met. So this can be a really difficult marriage or a difficult parenting situation. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I think we can do this in three minutes. Let's look at 26, 4, and 5. And if we can't, we'll pick it up again next week. This is that passage that is, uh, it looks like a contradiction. Proverbs 26, 4, and 5. And this is the, this is the desire-centered, uh, sensual fool. Um, so 26, 4, and 5. So these are obviously a, a pair of, of Proverbs. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he be like him yourself. Or answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So if you, read, if you just read the first half of each one of those verses, it looks like a contradiction. Answer a fool according to his folly, or are you, I mean, answer not a fool according to his folly, or are you supposed to answer a fool according to his folly? And I read one Greek scholar, Bill Mounts, uh, he's a Greek scholar. He says, our liberal friends say, this is just another example of contradictions in the Bible. And he, he pretty much said, uh, think a little more seriously about this, sir. If an editor was putting together a, you know, some literature, he would not put a back-to-back contradiction. That'd just be stupid. So. So think a little more deeply that the, the writer is trying to teach you something here and don't just gloss over it and say, uh, I mean, use the discipline, use the hard work of finding out what the writer is trying to say because he's saying something here that's important to us. It kind of reminds me, it does remind me of what we read in the first part of, uh, of, uh, of our study in Proverbs that, that the, uh, Solomon said, I want to teach the simple how to 
how to understand a riddle, meaning sometimes wisdom requires some hard thought and some, you know, some, uh, some work to understand this. And that's what this, uh, that's what this psalm, I mean, that's what this proverb does there. And we're going to have to stop, but I'll maybe whet your appetite. The, the issue, and I learned this from our Hebrew friends, the, the issue is the word, the little word according to. Answer, not a fool according to his father, or answer a fool according to his father. The little word according to is a Hebrew transitional phrase, and it's, it can, it's got some nuance to it. It can have different meanings in different ways that it's used. And that seems to be the key to understanding this. So, come back next week, and we'll... Uh, I didn't mean to end at this point, but I might be in trouble if we don't stop. So, and uh, Melissa, I guess you won't be here. I will not. I'll send you my notes if you like. <laughs> okay. Really, if you give me an email or something, I'll send you because I got a page on this that's really interesting. Okay. Thank you, everybody.